0: Thank you for listening to this audio message from Christ Fellowship Leesville. We exist to make disciples for the glory of Jesus. We pray God uses this message to help you grow in your walk with Christ. To learn more about Christ Fellowship, please visit us online at christfellowshipnc.org. Well, this morning will be our final Sunday in the Psalms, and so we're going to be looking at Psalm 107 together this morning. If you want to be turning there, also uh, welcome our children to go to your children's class. So if any of our children are participating in our children's class this morning, uh, you're welcome to go there to the room at the back, and our volunteers will be there to greet you. As I mentioned, this is our last Psalm we'll be looking at, so just let you know kind of where we'll be heading from here, Lord willing, next week we'll be jumping into 1 Samuel together. And so we're looking forward to going through that Old Testament book together. Um, also, uh, I'll reference more about why we did this in a moment, but we do have a printout of Psalm 107 for you this morning. So hopefully each of you received one of these. It's just a little booklet. goes front and back all the way through. So if you didn't get one of these and would like one, Floyd or one of the elders will have more for you. So if you didn't get one, if you just want to raise your hand and let them know they'll get one to you. We did this just to help you kind of see how this psalm is structured. We thought that would be helpful for you. We won't be printing off every passage in the future, so you still have to bring your Bible to church, okay? So, but for this in particular passage, we thought it would be helpful. So I wanted you to know why you had that this morning, and I'll reference that layout as we get into Psalm 107 together. Well, let me read our psalm for us. As we have done every week, we're going to read the psalm in its entirety, and then we'll pray and ask for the Lord's help this morning. So Psalm 107, beginning in verse 1. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor, they fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord for his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, then went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes It makes them wander in trackless wastes, but he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for the privilege to be here this morning under the truth of your word, meditating on your word together. We know that even this good gift was bought by Jesus on the cross. And so we give him all praise. Father, I pray that what we just sang would be the theme of our lives, yet not I, but through Christ in me, that it is because of him that we are here. Because of his finished work that stands in our place, because of the power of your spirit that you have sent to dwell in us. And so we pray that you would, by the power of your Spirit, give us understanding this morning that we would see the truth of your Word and be changed by it. Father, we want to do exactly what you have called us to do in this psalm this morning. We want to consider your steadfast love. And so, Father, we ask for your help to do that. We want to understand what it means to trust in and to cry out for your steadfast love. And so, Father, we pray that you would do what only you can do among us, that you would transform us and change us by the power of your Spirit, that you would, by the power of your Spirit, help us to understand your steadfast love for us. And so, Father, I pray that you would guide my words this morning, that you would lead us into all truth for the good of your people and for the glory of your name. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, with this psalm, we need to begin at the end. So let's look again at verse 43 together, which says, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So when God's word tells us what a wise person does, what a wise person ought to do, what characterizes a wise person, we need to perk up and listen. We need to pay attention. And Psalm 107 says that a wise person will attend to these things. What are these things? Well, it means that we will consider the steadfast love of the Lord. We will think about, meditate on, look closely into the steadfast love of God. That's what it means to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. It means to think about it, to study it, to meditate on it. And so if we're going to pursue wisdom and maturity in Christ together, as I pray we are doing, then then we must grow in our understanding of this very thing. We need to grow in our understanding of the steadfast love of the Lord. And what Psalm 107 is going to show us this morning is that one of the most clear ways to do that is to look back on how God has operated in the past, to look back on His faithfulness, how He has rescued people who are in distress? How he has rescued people who are in the midst of trouble and suffering. So this psalm gives us example after example of the steadfast love of the Lord. And so, so I want you to see that. I want you to just hear for a moment just to see how clearly this psalm lays this out for us. So that's why we have printed off those copies of Psalm 107 for you this morning, and why we formatted it. Why I formatted it in a way that I pray helps you see the structure of the psalm and what it emphasizes by its repetition. So if you're looking there at that print off, I want you to just see the overall structure of the psalm. It begins with a brief introduction in verses one through three that tells us what this psalm is all about, right? This psalm is about the steadfast love of the Lord, who redeems and rescues his people. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, verse 1, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, right? Let us give thanks to him and praise to him for his steadfast love that he has used, that he has shown to us in rescuing us from trouble. We're called to proclaim this goodness. And then the psalm goes on to give four specific examples of the Lord's steadfast love in action as he delivers people from distress. And so you can see each of those groups labeled one through four on that print off. Those four sections, those, those four groups of people all have a repeating pattern that emphasizes the steadfast love of the Lord. So you you can see that because in every single group, what's on your piece of paper highlighted in green is the repeating line that says, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. It's true of every single group who finds themselves in distress in Psalm 107, all four groups. Then he rescues each group And then each group is called to respond to the Lord. And you see that highlighted in that light blue color. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Each group is called to give thanks to the Lord for the steadfast love that he has shown them. And then furthermore, you see that the phrase steadfast love of the Lord has been uh, put in bold in that print off. We see it there at the introduction. It mentions the steadfast love of the Lord. Each group that is rescued is to give praise to God, give thanks to God for his steadfast love. And then, of course, the psalm ends by telling us we need to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. It's repeated six times, the steadfast love of the Lord. So hopefully you can see that. And we're going to reference that print off and how it's structured as we work our way through this psalm together. The steadfast love of the Lord is on display with every rescue That he makes. This entire psalm wants us to see that on display. So, what better way can we spend our time together this morning than considering the steadfast love of the Lord? So, that's what we had the privilege of doing. So, there are three truths this passage wants us to know about the steadfast love of the Lord. Number one, God hears the cry of the hopeless. God hears the cry of the hopeless. Number two, God is able to deliver from our distress. And number three, we must give thanks for the steadfast love of the Lord. So let's begin with that first truth that God hears the cry of the hopeless. Now, just as a heads up, we're not going to do kind of what we typically do as we work through a passage. Typically, we kind of work straight through verse by verse or section by section. Instead, because of the way this psalm is structured, we need to see how these truths come from each section. So we're going to kind of look at the psalm as a whole and see how the psalm as a whole points to these truths. So uh, first, let's see how each section of Psalm 107 emphasizes the truth that God hears the cry of the hopeless. Now, as I mentioned already, we're given these four different examples in Psalm 107 of those who find themselves in hopeless situations. Most likely, the psalm was written with an eye toward, with a mind toward, probably referencing the exile when God's people had been removed from their land, both in the Assyrian captivity and the Babylonian captivity. They're they're removed from their land. They're in exile and so you see first in verses 4 through 9 with that first group you have those who are wandering in desert waste unable to find a city with sustenance in which they can dwell. So that's the that's the situation of this first group of people. They are wandering in desert waste. And then we see in verses 10 through 16, they're those who have been imprisoned or enslaved. They're enduring forced labor. You see that in verse 12, they bow down their hearts. He bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They are imprisoned. prison. They are in shackles. They are being forced labor somewhere, exiled in probably another land. And then in verses 17 through 22, we see those who are in Either emotional distress or physical distress, most likely both because of their sinful ways. You see that in verse 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food. They drew near to the gates of death. They are so overwhelmed from their sin that they don't even want to eat. It reminds us a little bit of an earlier Psalm 32 where David talked about his bones wasting away, right? He's overwhelmed with sin. And rebellion, and then we see this final group, group four, in verse twenty-three, talking about these sailors who are on the sea, and they're caught in this massive, terrifying storm. And each of these situations are hopeless for different reasons. So, before we can fully grasp the significance that God hears their cries when they call out, I first want to be sure we see how each of these groups got into the situation. And then I want us to be sure that we understand just how desperate they are. So let's understand how they got into the situation, how desperate they are, and that will help us understand what it means, the significance of the fact that God hears the cry of the hopeless. So there's no question why groups two and three are in the situation they're in, right? The the psalm makes it crystal clear why they are in the situation. So look there at group two, beginning of verse 10. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. Why? Verse 11. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. They had rebelled against God. So because of that, he had put them in this situation. You can see that in verse 12. He bowed their heart down with hard labor. He is the one who is bringing his judgment on them because of their sin. He brought this calamity upon them. God has done this to them because of their sin. The third group doesn't specifically plainly state that God caused their affliction, but it's clear that they are suffering because of their sins, some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. It's clear that, that God is bringing his discipline, his punishment upon this group of people because of their sin, because of their, again, their rebellion against God. Now, the first and fourth group, however, there aren't any sinful actions mentioned on their part. And this is, this is really important, I think, for us to see. Because I want us to understand this morning that this psalm doesn't just apply to those who are in distressing situations, trouble, circumstances. It's not just because of sin. It can be for all kinds of reasons. And in the midst of all of those reasons, we can still cry out to the Lord. It still applies to us. It's still true for us. Now, I do want to make clear that these circumstances are, however, brought to pass because of the general brokenness of our world, because we live in a fallen world, that's why these circumstances exist, but it's not necessarily because of a specific sin that the people committed that are in these situations. So, for example, group one, verse four, some wandered in desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. I think it's without question. That's, that's a reference to the exile. Now, why was Israel exiled? Because they sinned against the Lord. But there were children born in the exile. There were people who lived in the exile who weren't there because of their sin. Right? There were faithful people, Daniel, for example, who was cast out of the land, living in Babylon. right? So it doesn't mean that they're suffering because of a specific sin, though it is a result of sin, big picture, right? the brokenness of our world. They're in this distressing situation where they're wandering with no food and they can't find a way to a city that will provide for them. The same is true of us, right? We're going to suffer at times through no consequence of our own individual specific sin, but because we live in a broken world, there is suffering that we will endure. There are situations we will endure because of that. This exact same truth is true of group four, this group of of sailors who were who are at sea in this boat, right? You see that in verse 23. Some went down and Uh, to the sea and ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. And just listen to the description of the storm that they are enduring. He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, right? It was such tumultuous waters. The boat was raised up on the the crest of the wave as if they were up to the heavens, and then they're just dropped down to the valley, right? It was just a terrible, terrifying storm that they were in the middle of. And it's it's so terrible that these trained sailors who had probably lots of experience on the water, verse 27 says, they reeled and staggered like drunken men. Even they were seasick at the, the storm tossing their boat around. Now, I do want to just clarify that in the ESV, it says that verse 26, their courage melted away in their evil plight. And so some may think that means that these men were doing evil things, but that's not really what it means. The evil plight is referring to the storm itself. The storm itself is is a troubling situation. It's evil in the sense of it's a time of suffering. So for example, the KJV just translates this as uh, their soul was melted because of trouble. Right? So there's no specific sin attributed to these sailors, but yet they're suffering, and yet it's clear that God is the one who has done it. Right? He's the one who brought this storm. He commanded, verse 25, and raised the stormy wind. Even these situations in which these people find themselves, where there's no specific sin stated that they have committed, even then, Psalm 107 makes clear that God is sovereign over the, over the situation, that he is in perfect control of it. Verse 25 says that God is the one who calls the storm to rage around them. He, he caused the very distress they were experiencing. And we can say the same thing about group one who were wandering in desert waste. The, you know, it doesn't say that it was because of anything that they had done, yet it's clear that God is the one who is sovereign over it. Well, how do I know that? Because if you skip ahead to verses 35 to 38, what does it say about God's ability to do things with the desert? This is amazing, right? Verse 35, he turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. So what is God able to do? He's able to transform a desert into a flourishing city. But he hasn't done that. In verses 4 and 5, he's chosen not to do that. He's chosen to have them in that wasteland and lead them to an already established city. I mention this because I think it's important that we see, even in the midst of a psalm, that's all about the steadfast love of the Lord. And this psalm is all about the steadfast love of the Lord. We also see that he is the sovereign Lord. He's sovereign over punishing sin, disciplining his people, exercising his sovereignty over the world. In other words, when suffering comes into our lives and we find ourselves in these distressing circumstances, God's not absent. He hasn't lost control of the world. He's right there in the middle of it. And he hasn't given up on a steadfast love. Even in the midst of a song all about a steadfast love, it still proclaims and declares that God is sovereign over all situations in which his people find themselves. He calls us the storm to rage. He calls us them to wander in desert places. He brings punishment to sin through exile and imprisonment and affliction. And yet he remains a God who shows us steadfast love. Now, I've been building all of this because I want you to see that in each of these situations, before we talk about how he hears their cries, I want you to know that in each of these situations, all of these groups find themselves at the end of their rope. That's consistent for every single group mentioned in this psalm, for all four groups that we've talked about. They're at the end of their resources. They have reached rock bottom. They've lost all hope. So just I want you to see that with me in the text. Group one, this group wandering in desert waste, beginning in verse four. Verse five says they are hungry and thirsty and their soul fainted within them. Their soul fainted within them. That's just another way of saying they had given up hope. They had given up hope in that moment. The next group, this group who is in exile, imprisoned, enduring forced labor. Verse 12 says, he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. There was nobody there. Their situation felt hopeless. There was none to help them. The the psalmist wants you to see that. The next group, group three, this group who's suffering affliction because of their sinful ways. Verse 18 says, they loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. I don't know what better description of hopelessness you can have than that, right? They drew near to the gates of death. And finally, this group of sailors who's out at sea in the midst of this raging storm. Verse 26 says, they're, Courage melted away in their evil plight. Their courage just melted away. There was no courage left in these brave men who were sailors on the sea. It just, it just melted away, and they reeled and staggered like drunken men. And look at what the last line of verse twenty-seven says: They were at their wits' end. They had nothing left to give. It's actually a strange phrase in the original language in, in the Hebrew, so it, it's translations render this all kind of. Different ways. Some say something like, uh, their skills could no longer help them. But that's what it's getting at, right? They they didn't know what else to do. Their skills couldn't help them. They were at their wits' end. The literal reading is something like they were swallowed up by this situation. They were hopeless. There there's just there was they felt like there was nothing left for them to do. What I want you to see is in each of these circumstances. It's why I printed this off. I want you to see the one line. Well, there's two lines repeated, but first I want you to see this line that is repeated in every single circumstance. This repeating and glorious theme. When they were at their most hopeless point, it says of all of them, then they cried to the Lord. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Every single group at their lowest point, then they cried. To the Lord. Now, why do I point this out? Because even though, hear me this morning, listen, even though there were probably a dozen times they should have cried out to the Lord before they got to that point, when they were at their lowest point, they cried out to the Lord. Even though some of them were in these situations because of their own sinful actions, they were there because they deserved to be there, because of their afflictions, because they had rebelled against the word of God, because they had sinned, and God was bringing his punishment and discipline upon them. Even though it was the Lord who was sovereign over the circumstances of their distress, even being the very one who caused the storm to rage on the sea, and even though it took these desperate terrifying, horrible situations to get them to cry out to the Lord as their very last ditch effort. In every single circumstance, it says when they cried out to the Lord, what does he do? He delivered them from their distress. Verse 6, verse 13, verse 19, verse 28. Then they cried out to the Lord. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. So I want you to hear me this morning. Don't believe the lies that Satan tells you that it's too late to cry out to the Lord. Don't believe the lies that Satan tells you that you're, you're too sinful, you've rebelled too much to cry out to the Lord. Don't let him plant that seed of doubt in your mind that says, well, I should have cried out to him last year or last month. I should have cried out to him a long time ago and I didn't do it. So there's no way he wants to hear what I have to say. There's no way he's going to come and deliver me now because I didn't cry out before. Now, what does Psalm 107 say? Even then, even then he's ready to rescue. Even then he's ready to come and to deliver us from our distress. Even if you wait until you're at your wits end and your soul is fainting within you and there's no one else to help and you're at the gates of death, you can cry out to the Lord. And because he is a God of steadfast love, he will deliver you. Now, let me clarify a bit. That does not mean he will always rescue you from your physical suffering or hardship in this life. But it does mean that he is a God who will eternally rescue all who come to him, no matter how late or how sinful. He's ready and he's waiting. That's why Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary. We read this verse all the time, by the way. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you, uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. You will, not you might. If you come to him, if you cry out to him, you will find rest for your soul. So never forget that God hears and responds to the cries of the hopeless. No matter how late in the game it is, no matter how sinful you are, he's ready to hear you and respond to you, but now I want you to be encouraged. To... So let's look at this to see that when we do, He is able to deliver us. So let's look at this second truth about the steadfast love of the Lord: God is able to deliver us from our distress. He is able to deliver us from our distress. Now, in many ways, this has been the theme of almost every single song we've looked at, right? God is able. We've seen it repeated over and over again. That should tell us something. It's something God wants us to learn. It's something he wants us to remember, that he is able. And we have to know that. We have to believe that. If we don't believe that in the depths of our heart, in the depths of our being, then we're not going to cry out to him in our moments of desperation. So Psalm 107 wants to, uh, to convince us that God is able to rescue his people. And with eight with every group in this psalm, the psalmist proves it over and over and over again. You see it with the first group who was wandering in this desert waste, they, they call out to God. And what happens in verse 7? He leads them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. He didn't give up on them. He was with them. He led them every step of the way until they got to where he wanted them to go. He rescued them. He was faithful. He delivered them safely. For the second group, this group who was in prison, affliction, in forced labor, they cried out to God even though they were there because of their sin. They cried out to God and he rescued them. Well, what did he do? Verse 14, he brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death. He burst their bonds apart. And then if you skip to verse 16, it says he shattered the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. There was nothing that could keep him from rescuing his people. He was able to deliver them from their imprisonment. The third group, this group who is suffering emotionally, physically, having this physical impact on their life. They loathed even food. They were drawing near to the gates of death. What does he do for them when they cry out to him? Verse 20, he sends out his word and heals them and delivers them from their distress. By the power of his word, he speaks and restores their souls and delivers them from their depression, their guilt, their shame, and he restores their health. And of course, in the fourth group, this group of sailors being tossed about by this raging storm that God brought upon them, they cry out to the Lord. And what does verse 29 and 30 say? He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. You see, the psalmist leaves no doubt for us that he is able to rescue, that there is nothing that can stay his hand from accomplishing his purposes. It doesn't matter if it's bars of iron. It doesn't matter if it's being lost in the desert. It doesn't matter if it's physical suffering because of our sin. It doesn't matter if it's a storm raging on the sea. He can deliver out of all of them. And as if that wasn't enough to prove his point, he goes on and just builds on it in verses 33 to 42. That's, that's why this section is here at the end of the psalm. He wants to just pile on reasons why we can trust him, why we can see that he is able. We've already mentioned it, but it shows first verses 33 to 38 that God is sovereign over the land. He can make a wetland, a desert. He can make a desert a place of growth and fruitful crops, right? It doesn't matter. He's sovereign over it. He can handle it. He's, it's what we talked about last week. He's sovereign over the weather. He's sovereign over the land. And then in verses 39 to 42, it says, even if it's because of a person, it, not because of the land, not because of the weather, maybe it's because of a person or a foreign nation that you are brought low and oppressed. Even then he can rescue because verse 40 says, he pours contempt on princes, those in power, and he can make them wander in trackless waste. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. In other words, gives them health and prosperity in that situation where before they were dwelling in a desert land. He's able to do all of these things. He is sovereign over all of these situations. There is nothing that can prevent God from doing as he pleases. That's why the conclusion of this psalm calls on us to consider the steadfast love of the Lord, to see that this is how he acts. This is what he's able to do. God wants us to look at these events and remember that God's steadfast love is a love that is ready and willing and able to rescue his people. But of course, that's the story of all of the Bible. It's why we have God's word, because these exact situations that are mentioned here are played out over and over and over and over again in God's word. Right. The, the most glaring, clear example, of course, of those wandering in desert wastes, finding no way to a city is, is when uh, God's people, when the Israelites uh, left Egypt and they had to wander in the desert for 40 years. But even in their wandering because of their sin, what was God doing all the while? He provided manna for them. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't fall apart. He led them by a cloud, pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of cloud by night. He was with them every step of the way until they reached the land that he had promised them. Or we see this second example, those who were in prison and in shackles. Of course, those who were in exile, God brought back and freed them for the land. But even into the New Testament, we see it with the apostles, right? When the disciples are put in prison, God either sends an angel to rescue uh, them and bring them out, or he causes an earthquake to happen and He he rattles the entire prison and shakes it to break the prison doors open and set them free. However he's going to do it, he's able to do it. We see this theme repeated over and over. With the third group, how many times? You see it all over Scripture that he sends his word to heal his people and to give them hope. And of course, the fourth group, this group of sailors struggling at sea. I think you know exactly the a clear example of that one that we have with Jesus. When the disciples are out in the boat, the storm calms and rocks Uh, Then They are terrified just as these men were terrified while Jesus, remember, is sleeping peacefully because he's in sovereign control of it all. And they call out to him in their distress. And he comes up and he speaks to the storm and to the winds and to the waves. And they obey him. They do exactly what he says. And the waves calm, the wind stops. And of course, the disciples respond by saying, who is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him? Well, the answer is, he's the God of Psalm 107. That's what the gospel authors want you to see. He is this God. He is this God that can rescue and speak to the storm and speak to the waves and to the sea. So this is why, brothers and sisters, we can have every confidence as children of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, that Romans 8 means exactly what it says when it says that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing can do it, not wandering in desert places, not prison bars, not raging storms at sea, not even the affliction that comes on us because of our sinful choices. It cannot separate us from the steadfast love of the Lord. There is nothing that can stand in the way of God, keeping the promises that he has made to us through the finished work of Christ on the cross, right? He has done all that is necessary for us. He's given us the righteous life of Jesus Christ that he came and lived in our place, Christ died taking on the wrath and condemnation that we deserve so that God could forgive us and yet remain just. He victoriously rose from the grave so that we could one day rise with him and with our resurrected bodies in the new heavens and the new earth and be rescued for all eternity. He is able to calm storms, break shackles, speak and restore life, and lead us safely home even through the wilderness of this life. He will rescue us for all eternity because of the precious blood of Christ that was shed on the cross for you and for me. And so he's ready. He is ready when we cry out to him at our distress, and he is able to deliver you from your distress. He will not wait. He will not delay, right? I want You can see that in this passage. When they cry out, what does he do? He rescues. That's what he does. That's who he is. Now, just as I mentioned before, I want to mention again, it does not mean that our deliverance will always look like the rescue of Psalm 107. And this may be a hard thing to grasp or understand, but I want you to see what the Bible teaches. Sometimes your ultimate rescue demands your suffering here. Sometimes even when you are in distress and you cry out, your trouble may continue, but that doesn't mean he's not rescuing you. The most, well, one of the most clear examples of that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where the apostle Paul tells us that he was given a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. Now, we don't know exactly what this thorn in the flesh was. There's all kinds of speculation about it, but whatever it was, Paul wanted to be rid of it. It was causing trouble, hardship, and suffering in his life. He begged God three different times to remove it from him. But God said, no, my strength is sufficient for you. Now, Why didn't he deliver Paul from the affliction of the thorn in the flesh? Is Psalm 107 not true for the Apostle Paul? Well, God knew that Paul's pride could have destroyed his faith. And so the greater and more glorious rescue was to allow Paul to suffer so that he could be delivered safely to the arms of Jesus. So there will be times, brothers and sisters, where God will deliver us from our distress, our physical distress, our physical trials and tribulations. I don't want to discourage you in that. We ought to cry out to the Lord and ask him to do that. He's a God who loves to do it. That's one of the points of Psalm 107. He, he loves to rescue people and to deliver people. We ought to plead with him and beg with him to do it. But yet at the very same time, if it doesn't, we've talked about this right in weeks past, if it doesn't feel like he's done it, It doesn't mean he's not doing it. It may just mean he's not doing it in the way we think he ought to. And that's where we have to rest in the sovereign goodness of God and consider the steadfast love of the Lord, that this is who he is and we can trust him and that he will keep every promise that he has made to us because of the finished work of Christ that stands in our place. Sometimes the greatest gift the Lord can give us is trouble, hardship, and suffering to rid us of our sin and pride and self-dependence. That's not me saying that. That's what God's word says to us in places like 2 Corinthians chapter 12, so that the power and strength of God can be on display all the more. But the point is, we can always cry out to him. It doesn't matter how late to the game we are. It doesn't matter how sinful we are. We can cry out to him. He will hear us and he will deliver us. Therefore, when he rescues us, we must be ready to give thanks for the steadfast love of the Lord. And that's the final truth I want us to see this morning. We must give thanks for the steadfast love of the Lord. This is how the psalm started. Verse 1 Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. He's good. Even though he brings discipline, even though he brings judgment, even though he brings storms on the sea, even though he causes his people to wander in wastelands at times, he's good and his steadfast love endures forever. Therefore, verse 2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let us say it, let us proclaim it, that he is good and he has shown his steadfast love. Love to us, right? This is repeated over and over again throughout this psalm. This is the response we are to have in every single situation. Verse 8, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man. Verse 15, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man. Verse 21, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man. Verse 31, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man. This is how we are to respond to the reality that we have been rescued. We are to give thanks. We are to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And he presses it even further in group three and group four because verse 22 says, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving And tell of his deeds in songs of joy. And then in group four, verse 32, let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. So don't just give thanks to him. Tell everybody else about it too, right? That's what it says. Sing with joy to him, proclaim it among God's people so that everybody hears it, testify to God's faithfulness in your life. This is one of the reasons why we sing every Sunday, because we are commanded to respond to the grace that we have been shown. How can we not respond to the greatest rescue story in history? So we talked about each of these groups were at their lowest point. Well, let's just remind one another of where we were. God's word says to us that we were at the most hopeless low point imaginable. Ephesians 2 says that we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's true of you and that's true of me. We were children of wrath. We were his enemies. We were spiritually blind. We couldn't even see the glory of God. We had hearts of stone and stiff necks that refused to bow down to the sovereign creator of the universe. That is who we were. And therefore, all of us in this room were condemned. To an eternity in hell where we would have fully deserved to suffer the righteous judgment of God because we were his enemies. We were children of wrath like the rest of mankind, and we had nothing, nothing in ourselves that we could do about it. We could not clean ourselves up. There is no amount of good things we could do because everything we do is tainted by pride and selfishness and sin and faithlessness. We were hopeless, and there is nothing we could do to atone for our rebellion against the sovereign God. There was no man that could help us. We could not even help ourselves. But it is then, it is then that Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says to us, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He took us from the most hopeless place imaginable to the most glorious place imaginable. It, we can't even comprehend what this means. We will spend eternity giving praise to God for this rescue. There is no greater rescue to sing of, to rejoice in, and to proclaim among God's people than that one. So, let's respond to what God has done this morning. So, I'm actually want to give you a few moments to just respond right where you are and to think about the truths of this passage. Because I'm sure that all of us walk into this room in different places. Some of you may be at one of these low points and you think that God is done with you. You think you just haven't cried out when you should have. You keep sinning and you've given up on crying out to him for rescue. But Psalm 107 says to us, it's right at that point that these people cried out and the Lord heard them and delivered them. So I want, I want you to hear this morning. If you're here and you're breathing this morning, God's ready to hear you. He's ready to hear when you cry out for help. It's not too late and you're not too far gone. So that might look like a moment of repentance and confession for you and a restoration to Christ who you've been distant from as of late. Others of you, it may mean for the first time repenting of your sin and coming to faith in Christ. Deal with the Lord where you are. Maybe for others of you, you feel the weight of rescue you have been given. And so if that's true of you, if you're just overwhelmed by the grace you've been shown this morning, then just Cry out to the Lord right now where you are and give him thanks. And, and be ready here in a few moments to sing with a heart filled with joy and be ready to extol our Savior among God's people this morning. So I'm going to pray for us here in a moment. After I pray, Stephen Lisa will come up and will, will lead us in a song that will allow us to do this very thing, to testify to God's faithfulness in our lives. But even before they come and before I pray, just right where you are, take some time to respond to the Lord this morning. Father, I'm so thankful you allowed us to consider your steadfast love this morning. I pray that you would overwhelm every heart in this room with your steadfast love. Father, if there's anybody in this room that has been hesitant to cry out to you for help and for rescue in their distress, whatever that situation may be, if they've been hesitant to do that because they feel some kind of guilt and shame that they haven't done it before, If they haven't done that because they feel they're too far gone or too sinful or too rebellious. Father, I just pray right now that you would free them from that shame and guilt and just lead them to cry out to you even right now this very moment. Father, I pray for all of us in this room this morning that you would be at work in our hearts reminding us of of how we have been rescued by the work of Jesus on the cross. And so, Father, I just pray even now that we would rejoice together in song as we sing of the evidence of your grace that is all around us, the evidence of your steadfast love in our life. May we be encouraged as we sing out to one another this morning, and may you be glorified as we sing for joy and give thanks for the steadfast love of the Lord, for for your wondrous works among your people.